Say with me, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul is what? Is prospering. Beloved, I wish above all things, all the things the apostle could say, he's talking about things going well for you in terms of your life, your, your material life, your physical life, but all of that hinges or is uh, you know, conditioned upon the health of your spiritual life, the condition of your soul, your mind being renewed to the Word of God, your will being submitted to God. I can tell you that being in God's will is the safest place you can be. It's the most prosperous place you can be. It's the most victorious place you can be. So our minds are renewed, our will are submitted basically, and our emotions are not running out there and running our lives, but they're under the control and direction of the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand if you have let loose of your emotions before, even after you were saved. Let me try that one more time. How many of y'all have ever done that? Anybody? Okay. Well, you know I have a reference point of what you're not supposed to do. Amen? That you're to yield even when it's tough. So it's, uh, it's a discipline, in other words, to renew your mind, to submit your will, and to let your emotions come under the lordship of Jesus by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But if you do, and you walk with God according to his precepts, you're setting yourself up for a supernatural increase. God is not just limiting his people to what they can do with the sweat of their brow and their labor. In fact, uh, before Adam sinned, the idea of God was that they would increase without toil. So somewhere along the line, we have to catch the revelation that even though we work, there is a, a higher authority and dimension here that invades your life. And now Bill Winston used to call it the, the sweatless anointing, amen, where God came alongside of you and actually empowered you to do what you're doing, but also increased you in a supernatural way. Aren't you glad he's not done with you? So what we have to understand is that there's power out there. In fact, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 8 that God gives you power to get wealth. Why would he give you power to get wealth if he didn't want you to increase? Right? It's not about whether you get it or not. It's about what you do with it. Do you turn away from God after he blesses you? Do you know a lot of people do that? They're all excited about God until some things go well for them, and all of a sudden they forget about him. And that's why God says in Deuteronomy 8, when you have your goodly houses and God increases you in the land of your promise, don't what? Don't forget God. Remember, it is God that gave you what? The power to get the wealth. So it's all about priorities. It's all about where you put things in terms of your life. God should be number one. We think about the other scripture, Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will what? Be added unto you as well. God is not anti-material. Once again, I want to say this to you, that if uh, somebody gave you the deed to a land, they could say, well, the land is yours, the water rights are yours, the mineral rights are yours, and you can say, all I want is the land. Don't care about the water, don't care about the mineral. That's your right, but as a child of God, you're entitled to everything he died for. Everything. And he died for you spiritually, physically, and materially. But if you put other things before him, you're not walking with God. You're, you're making a, a very big error. In fact, you're making the biggest mistake you can make when it comes to believing God for supernatural increase. Your relationship with God must be better than it's ever been before, closer to him. You know, one thing I've noticed that not only during COVID-19 will people withdraw from church, they also have been withdrawing from God. And if they're doing that, if they're withdrawing from God in his presence, then they're making the big mistake in terms of supernatural increase. 
God can't increase you from afar. It's walking with him. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, put him first, not last. Go to Isaiah 55, just kind of set this up tonight. Isaiah 55. Aren't you glad he's not hiding from you? Isaiah 55, come all who are thirsty. Somebody say, I'm thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, how could you possibly do that unless it was supernatural? Yes, there's a thing that you can use, a currency that you can use to increase. It's called faith, and it relies upon your connection to God and agreement with his word. You buy without money, it's a, it's a thing called faith. And then on verse 6, if you'll look at it, surely you'll summon the nations you know not, nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Now remember, we talked about this the other day and Sunday, that God has ways. And your job is to accept God's ways and put your ways down. If we will connect to the ways of God, we can connect to the benefits of God. And one of the things we talked about Sunday was, you know, walking in truth. How many understand there's no such thing as my truth and your truth? There's no such thing as you living your truth. You are really either lining up with the truth or you're in error. And how many of the world loves to hear that? This one gentleman running for the U.S. Senate in Georgia, he's a pastor. In fact, he's a pastor of a very famous church down there. And he proudly says that I am pro-life and I am pro-choice. I don't know what you're smoking down in Georgia. I thought that was Colorado. But you can't be, what, pro-life and be pro-choice. You're one or the other. Because if you say to somebody, I, you have a right to make that choice, what you're saying is, in your situation, you have a right to violate the truth and the sanctity of life. Thou shalt not what? Kill. And then sit back because we're not a first-hand party to it, that we're somehow innocent. Look, if someone tonight pulled a weapon and somebody was threatening somebody else, and you had the ability to stop them, you can't look at the person with a gun and say, it's pro-choice. It's your choice if you want to do that. I'm for their life, and I hope they live. Yes, I do. But if you shoot them, that's your choice. We don't think like that. In fact, it's a crime for you to sit there and do nothing. If you could have done something to stop that from happening. So this, this, bit, this is where people are today. Now, how did you get to a conclusion that I am pro-life, but I'm also pro-choice? I'll tell you, because you're no longer in the Word of God. And once you deviate from the word, you're no longer in the truth, and you're not capable of walking in truth if you're not in the word of God. And so the message tonight is closely related to that. It's walking with God and closely with God. I want to encourage you in, in 2021, get closer to God than you've ever been in your entire life. Thank you for your enthusiasm over that. Let me try that again. Closer than you've ever been. Let me say it again, closer than you've ever been. No matter if anybody goes with you or not, no matter if anybody's excited about God or not, whether people turn, get turned on for God or not, you get closer than you've ever been because that's going to set you up for a supernatural increase. Look at what he says. Seek the Lord while he 
may be found. Call on him while he is near. Aren't you glad that you can do that? And you don't have to wait till a crisis comes to do it. Go to Matthew chapter 11 and look with me at around verse 28. And uh, listen to these words because if you've been serving God, you've, you've felt at times where you're getting a little stressed out and a little burned out. And, and usually when that happens, it's not because you're walking with God. It's usually because you're walking away from God and don't even realize it and stepping into something far less than what he has for you. Matthew 11, have you found it? Now, I'm going to read this to you from the, from the message, and listen very carefully. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the enforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy on or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with what? Me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Doesn't that sound wonderful? But notice in this particular you know, rendering of this verse, how many times it mentions me. Come to me. With me. Uh, walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Keep company with what? With me. Your victory in your life, your ability to live beyond burnout and, and just wearing yourself out and frazzling yourself out, especially in a season like we're in right now, the key to that is how close you are in proximity to him. And if you're deviating from that personal relationship, and I know it sounds real religious to use that phraseology, but there's a difference between somebody saying, yeah, I know Jesus versus really knowing him and really walking with him. That's the key to maintaining your, your diligence and your vitality as a child of God, not your association with your membership card. It's not even your association with a local church. That's important. If you are blowing off the Lord and all you talk about is religion and church, then what happens is you've got more religion than you have of, of the reality of Christ. On the other hand, if you have the Lord but you're distancing yourself from the local church, you're in a state of rebellion because the Word commands you to be close to both. But there is no substitute for that personal relationship with him. Look at this. It's coming with him, walking with him, working with him, that you find out what you can actually be and do and, and become in the things of God. That's the key to your increase is what you do with Jesus. Look at somebody and tell them it's all about Jesus. In other words, God's not the, co the cause of your tiredness or your burnout. I served God and I got burned out. No, somewhere along the line, you deviated from Jesus and you slipped into religion. No one ever served Jesus and got burned out. And that's a message to everybody who's involved seriously with the things of God at any level of ministry. We can sit there all day long and say, well, I'm, I'm serving God and I got burned out. No, you got burned out because you, you deviated from that relationship. In fact, doing ministry, serving God, living your life, but not having that quality time with him, that's a recipe for burnout, and it didn't come by spending time with him. It came by neglecting time with him and doing things in your own strength. 
It's a recipe, you know, for failure and discouragement and disappointment, feeling burned out, feeling tired, feeling everybody is against you. It's amazing how much our emotions tank when we neglect our time with him. In fact, if you're grumpy, everybody say grumpy. Belligerent, say belligerent. Touchy. Fretful. Amen. Pushy. Mouthy. I'll leave it alone, if you will. <laughs> it's not because you've been spending quality time with him. It's all evidence that you need to bump up that time with him and his word. And we don't want to you know, admit that, but uh, trying to live life and do ministry and what we're called to do and be and do that in our own strength, your own strength is going to only last so long. And you're going to hit a wall. Amen. And a lot of people right now, even Christians, they've been trying to handle COVID in the flesh, trying to handle the consequences in the flesh, the finances in the flesh, you know, handle responsibilities in the flesh, everything associated with this, and they're frying. And it's not because their relationship with him, they're trying to do these things without that relationship. Anybody in here is capable of biting somebody's head off and handing it back to them in a basket if they neglect the things of God. Your best version of yourself is when you're walking with God. Your worst version of yourself is when you're walking away from God. And there's a lot of laughter going on over here. I don't know what that's all about. But... Amen. God's not the cause of your tiredness or your burnout. Religion laid that on you, not God. Get away with God and recover your life. Get away with him every day. Do you still have a time where you seek his face? Do you still have a time where you read his word? Do you still have a time where you pray? If not, you're headed for a wall. Amen. Everybody can do something in terms of their time with God. Think about it this way. Running around, trying to do things in your own strength, result in tiredness, frustration, and defeat. Turn to somebody and say, no more days of defeat. No more days of frustration. No more days. Say it with me, I'm healed, whole, and sound in his presence. Yes, amen. I want you to write these things down. We'll spend some time talking about them. But the difference between religion and living contact, which is what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that religion is not your foundation for supernatural increase, and it never will be. Religion won't do the job. We talk about living contact or vital union. We're talking about God being your number one need. Remember, when an ambulance comes up on a wreck, it's not going to, you know, be their priority to treat the small cut above somebody's eye when somebody's laying on the ground coming through the windshield because they didn't have a seatbelt on and they're not breathing. They're going to focus on the person who's in the worst shape because they need that breath. They're going to Focus on somebody who is in a, a real critical situation. Now, they'll tend to you. That's fine. But that's not the number one vital need. And you and I have to treat God as something more important than even the breath that you have. How long can you live without breathing? How many of y'all can hold your breath pretty good and well? One minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes? I heard of an actress who said she held her breath for seven minutes, and I'm like, no, I don't believe that now. Apparently, shooting an underwater scene, she held her breath for seven minutes. I was a nationally ranked swimmer and could never go anywhere near that. She was an out-of-shape actress. I don't believe she held her breath for seven minutes. 
But I don't care how long you can hold it, eventually what's going to happen? You're going to need to replace that with that life-giving flow of oxygen. And, uh, you know, we would never say, you know, what? I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to go to work and I'm not going to breathe. I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to hold my breath the whole way there. When I get to work, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just going to sit there and hold my breath until I pass out. Nobody does that. But we do it with God all the time. We can do this without God. I don't need the breath of heaven to do this job. Don't need the breath of heaven to drive the car. Don't need the breath of heaven to deal with people. You need the breath of heaven to deal with people. From the ones you live with, to the ones that are on the road, to the ones that you work with. Amen. You need the breath of heaven. You need his presence in your life. So it's not religion that is the foundation. Make this clear. It's not religion. It's the foundation of your supernatural increase. It's your personal walk with him. See, somebody would say, well, you people, you word people, you spirit people, you know, Holy Ghost people, you faith people, you prosperity people, you just teach us easy, easy believism. No, they're not listening very well, are they? We're saying you can't separate an on-fire relationship with God from the concept of prosperity. Just give God a little bit of dab of your time. Just confess a few things, throw a little bit in the offering plate, and it'll all go well with you. No, your first priority and the thing that needs to flourish is first your walk with God if you want to see yourself increase. Now that said, you give me anybody who has a relationship that's on fire with God and they have some revelation about material things and spiritual things as well as physical things, and I'll tell you this, and they do and line up with the Word of God, they're going to increase. Not maybe, my, they will increase if God is number one in their life and they will accept it. Now, you have to actually say to yourself, you know, I value those things and I believe what God says about those things. Now, in fact, when it comes to like Malachi, for example, the Bible says to actually test him. Why is it important to have a right relationship when you approach something like Malachi? Because if your relationship is not right and somebody teaches you what Malachi says, you're going to get offended over it. You're not going to be able to receive the teaching that tells you, basically, will a man rob God? Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about the recipients of the letter robbing God of tithes and offerings. Let's just break this down. God just called you a thug. My people are two-bit thieves. You're not going to be able to receive that and adjust to it if you don't have a right relationship with him, your emotions are going to bow up, your religion is going to bow up on you, and you're going to miss the point. He says this, test me in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out what? A blessing that you cannot contain. Remember what I said, in Noah's day, the water was 22 feet above the highest mountain in the world. That's how much water came down. That's the comparison. That's the same word and verbiage used when God's speaking of pouring out a blessing on your life. How many of you like to try to contain it? <laughs> Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, I want some more, I want some more, I want some more. But watch this. When it comes to that, he says, I will open up the windows of heaven. If he has to open the windows of heaven, then the kingdom windows are what? closed. They're closed when someone does not keep the principle. And the reason they don't keep the principle is their relationship is not right with God. There are lots of things that would be a lot easier for us as ministers of the gospel in terms of getting people to line it with the word if our relationship with him is first right. 
We're more teachable on every area of life when our relationship is right. When we're not right, when we're religious, churchy, whatever, staunchy, when we hear something our flesh doesn't like, we bow up and react against that. And that's why we can't increase. God can't do what he wants to do in our lives. But if he's going to open up the windows, then what are they right now? For the one robbing, they're closed. Let me come over here and preach with Rodney and get some amens. Amen. Say it with me. It opens the windows of heaven. And he pours out a blessing. Now, when you're close to him, you look at that and you go, why wouldn't I want to bless God? Why wouldn't I want to be involved in his economy? Why wouldn't I trust him to take care of me if the relationship is right? Say it with me. If my relationship is right with God, the commands of God are easy. You ever seen a family that, that functions and, and the teenagers, they just, no matter what the parents said, it was... The wrong thing? Some of you have personal experience with that. No matter what you say, they're going to take the opposite approach. That's the way we are when our hearts are not right with God. No matter what he says, we're going to fight and argue. And listen, you can't supernaturally increase when you're fighting and arguing with God and his word. It just doesn't work. Amen. So separating your mind tonight what it means to be religious versus walking and living contact where his presence is the number one vital need in your life. How long can you live without it? Think of it as physically, we can still live. And some people don't even know how disconnected they are and how much damage is being done because they're no longer hooked up to that life-giving flow. Once you know that, you can just repent and get started all over again. If you've gotten away from God, start all over again. If you've gotten drifted away from him, start all over again. Aren't you glad you can repent and start over? Say it with me, I can repent and start all over again. Repentance isn't bad, it's not negative, it's a good thing. You know that angels can't repent. Angels weren't made in the image of God. You were. So if you have drifted, you have the ability in the God-given right to repent and start all over again. Well, I mean, oh, it's a pretty good time to start over again if you've been drifting. Say this, it's my last day, drifting from God. Amen. Number one, religion serves out of duty. But living contact serves out of gratitude. Religion serves out of duty. I have to pray. I have to read the word. I have to go to church. I have to tithe. I have to serve. You can just hear that, that person is not living out of relationship. They're living out of a sense of duty. They're living out of a sense of I have to, obligation. That's not what your relationship with God is all about. When your relationship is right, you want to do these things. You want to serve. You want to give. You want to be a blessing. You want to do what he wants you to do. But uh, that's not going to be your foundation for increase if you think that it's all about duty. I have to. Now, it's not wrong for you to think about yourself as a servant of God, but you're also his son or daughter. Amen? He first and foremost wants you to love it. Number two, religion sings from the mouth, but living contact worships from the heart. Religion sings from the mouth. There's just a noise there. But living contact worships from the heart. The heart is right with God. Do you know that even spirit-filled believers can have a religion about them? Well, it's time to sing, so let's sing. 
Oh, it's time to stand up. Let's stand up. It's time to clap. Now, the church I was raised in, we got up and we went down. We got up and we sat down. We got up and we, we got our exercise. Amen. Forget about getting our steps in. We got our exercise up and down, up and down, up and down. That's what I remember about it most. In the Pentecostal world, you can have exercise too. Amen. Especially if you're one of them holy rollers in here. Amen. I'll never forget one time, a powerful worship service, and Mark Randall got up to do a Jericho march, but nobody else got up with him. He just solo. Remember that, Rodney? <laughs> you can go through all these motions and the heart not be engaged. What did God say? Their words are right, but their hearts are far from me. You want your heart engaged. That's religion. Number three, religion talks about church. Living contact talks about Jesus. You'll notice this, that religious people don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't want anything to do with that. Now, I think it's interesting that someone who's the, you know, possible president-elect, and we'll see how all that turns out. How many know we need God more in this country than we've ever needed him before? Uh, right now, we will vilify school districts and sue school districts if they have anything religious at all going on, but he wants the Koran taught in the public schools. He wants school children to become more familiar with the teachings of Islam. You can't make this stuff up. These are people wanting to run this nation. Look, in religion, you're just going to talk about the externals and talk about the function, but you're not going to talk about Jesus. And the devil hates that name and the world hates that name. Amen. Uh, years ago, Murray State graduations, I began to tell the speakers and those that prayed, don't you speak in that name? Don't you pray in that name? Whenever Mark would do it, guess what he would do? He'd pray in the name of Jesus. Uh, why are they afraid of that name? Because deep down, of course, the devil knows the truth that Jesus is the only way. He is the truth, isn't he? He is the way. He is the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. It's spiritual. If you still think what's going on in this nation is political, you need to pray some more. This is all spiritual. And if you think it's all about getting the guy out of the White House who likes to tweet too much, you've missed the whole point. They won't stop with him. They weaponize the IRS all over again. They will come after your school children. They will use every means possible to push out and drive out the influence of Christianity in this nation, despite the fact this nation covenanted with God from the very beginning to be not only a Christian nation, but a you know, proliferating force and influence around the world for the gospel, to preach the gospel around the world. This is real. It's a spiritual war going on. Amen. That's why there's such a, a heaviness about it. That's why there's such a, you know, an emphasis right now on, on prayer and on seeking God. And churches, you know, instead of being engaged right now, all over the country, they're petrified of the unseen virus. Is it dangerous? Yes. Can it do bad things? Yes. But you can't have more confidence in that virus to do bad things to you than you have in God to do good things in you. Amen. Where's your confidence at? Why, why would somebody be like that? Because they're not having that quiet time with God. They're filling their minds and their hearts with the latest press conference or what they said over here or what they said over here. No, he's a restorer. He's a protector. He's well able to take care of you. Amen. 
Lord, yeah, and what's the worst case scenario? If you left this world tonight, where would you go? Oh, I got the booby prize. I got to go to heaven. No. It's like Lori Copeland said, and I've said it before. We spend decades trying to get people to heaven. And then when they go, we get mad. And what does that say about us? Hmm? Maybe we're not such big proponents of heaven as we think we are, or proponents of heaven and his kingdom as we say we are. No. Religion is going to talk about church and religion. People that know the Lord are going to talk about him. Everybody say Jesus. Number four, religion is satisfied. Living contact is hungry for more. Say it, I want some more. More God, more of his word, more of his truth. Satisfied. How else can you explain it? I'm satisfied. Even before COVID, on any given Sunday, any given Sunday, a huge chunk of the church was, was missing all over the country. Now, after COVID, it's, it's, it's just magnified to, to the nth degree. I mean, it's really kind of sad what's happened. And if you, if you see it beyond the curtain, you can see that COVID is certainly an attack against people physically, an attack against the nations, but it's an attack against the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Aren't you glad you're not buying the lie? Let me ask you again. Aren't you glad you're not buying that lie? Glory to God. No, we're going to draw nigh to him and he'll draw nigh to us. Not be satisfied with where you are. Not be satisfied with what you're getting. You want more from him. Number five, religion prays out of necessity. Living contact prays out of pleasure and relationship. Well, I guess we better pray. Has it come to that? No, we pray out of relationship. We enjoy his presence. We just happen to give petitions and supplications with thanksgiving. We have intercession, but not because the, you know, the sky is falling. If you're one of those people that all you ever do is when something is wrong, that's when you seek God or the only time you seek God, you've got a problem here. You've become a little more ornamental in your Christianity than you are spiritual. Uh, people love God, pray because it's an honor to be in his presence. Amen. Aren't you glad he made a new and living way for you? Aren't you glad he said you can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in time of need? Yes, there's a crisis prayer, but there's everyday prayer too. Every day seeking God and his face. What is this, number six? Religion lives constantly upset. Living contact causes us to live consistently at peace. Doesn't peace sound better than upset? Yes, it does. Isaiah 26, 3 says, great peace have, what? They'll keep in perfect peace. Him who's what? Mind is stayed or fixed on him. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they who what? Love your law. And nothing can cause them to stumble. Religious people, constantly upset. Constantly going at it. Constantly in a state of turmoil. Look at somebody and say, you're called to peace. Peace in every situation. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you receive it right now? Just lift up a hand and say, I just received that in Jesus' name. He is our peace. He's the giver and the granter of peace. Father, we just receive it in Jesus' name through that relationship with you. Glory to God. Number seven, religion seeks God's hand. 
religion seeks God's hand. What does that mean? It means his goods. It means his power. It means his stuff. Living contact seeks God's face. And here's the, uh, the kicker. If you'll seek his face, you'll get his goods and power. If all you seek are his goods and his power, you'll get none of it. You won't get his goods, won't get his power, and you won't get his face. You want to be able to say, I'm a person that values living contact, and I want to experience him. He is your prize. Say it, he is my portion. Say it again, he is my portion. Let me say it again. If you'll seek his face, you'll get the goods and the power. If you seek the goods and the power, you won't get the goods and the power or his face. One again, in everything you do, make sure you're putting him first. Seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God. Beloved, I pray above all things I may as prosper and be in health even as what? Your soul is prospering. No soul prosperity, then forget about physical prosperity, forget about financial prosperity if your soul is not prospering. Is it wrong to seek God's hand and believe God's hand when you're in a right, right relationship with him? No. That's the children's bread. Amen. Remember when the lady came and asking Jesus to heal the daughter and she said, she was told by Jesus, it's not right to give the children's bread to whom? To the little dogs. And what did she say? Even the dogs will eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus said, because of this saying, go, your daughter is what? He made this daughter whole because of a faith response from this lady. But whose bread was it? It's the people of God. It's the covenant people of God. So don't misunderstand me. He, he has purchased this for you, his goods and his power. But how do we feel when somebody just wants something from us, but when they don't need something, they're never around? Whether that's a relative, a child, or some friend, only when they have a need do they get in contact with you. You only hear from them when the sky is falling, No. You don't even like that. Well, how would God like that either? That my children only cry out to me when they want my goods or my power. Come on, say it when we get God's face and his goods and his power. You get it all when you put him first. You get nothing when you bypass it. Last, religion desires the approval of men. Living contact desires the approval of God. Very powerful missionary evangelist once said this. He said, you know, the modern religion, modern church, their goal is to get people in church. He said the New Testament is designed and reflects God's desire to get God in people. Get God in them, transform them, change them. And when the emphasis is all about getting people to love you, how many understand the fear of man, the Bible says, disables? Um, if you are consumed with what people think about you and how they talk about you and, and you're always worried about if somebody's talking ugly about you, lean in, somebody's always talking ugly about you. And if somebody would come to you talking ugly about somebody else, guess what? When you turn the corner, they're doing the same thing about you. And if you can't live because you're petrified about what people think about you, the only thing that matters is what does God think about you? The main thing that matters is, is your relationship with him intact. You can't be living for the approval of people. 
It's not about your fame. It's not about your name. It's not about your reputation. Scripture says you're supposed to be dead and your life is hidden in Christ. You're supposed to decrease. He's supposed to what? Increase. So they don't like you. Big deal. You know, it's a lot easier when you just die to that stuff. And pastoral speak, this is called hitting a nerve. Some of y'all live like trained seals. Always trying to please people. Jumping through the hoops and saying the right things and barking, whatever. No, you need to be living in for the approval of God, for the pleasure of God. You know, it pleases him, faith pleases him. Steadfastness pleases him. Integrity pleases him. Honor pleases him. Religion desires the approval of man, but living contact the desires, uh, desires the approval of God. Now, if you're seeking his face, you'll be on the right side of these principles. If you're strained from his presence, you'll be on the left side. And so if you look at that and you go, how many of these are showing up in my life again? It's telling you that you need to do some work on your personal walk with God. Look at somebody say, my walk, personally, with the Lord. Hallelujah. What are we called to do? We're called to abide in him. Say that with me, abide. And that means to stay in a given place, relation or expectancy. It means to dwell, to endure, to continue, to remain. Write this down. It's where you live. Do you live in his presence? Do you live where he's at? Living contact is consistently abiding with God in vital union, making God your number one need. It's not oxygen, water, food, friendships, or money. Why is that important? Because breakthrough is always going to happen in your life on the inside first. Where does that breakthrough happen? Well, we get a revelation in church. We can certainly get all filled with joy and say praise God for that. But you know where 99.99% of your personal breakthroughs are going to happen? In your personal time with him. You're going to have an encounter with him. He's going to show up. He's going to teach you something correct you, show you something, do something in your life, give you that word of wisdom. That's where the breakthroughs come. And the breakthroughs don't come on the outside and then they happen on the inside. They come on the inside first and then they manifest, manifest on the outside. So that's why your personal walk with God is so important. What is living contact? It's fellowshipping with him. It's talking to him. It's also listening to him. Amen. Learning to listen to what he's saying. Setting aside distractions of life and demands of life to commune with him in word and in prayer. Is church important? Yes. It's the training ground. We come to encourage one another, exhort one another to, to love and good works. But where do you get the breakthrough at? It's what you're doing every single day. You know, it didn't take you very long of ignoring your time with God and you don't miss it anymore. Now you just live in a natural life. Technically, you're born again. You're going to heaven, but you're living far below your privileges because you're not spending that time with him. You know, Brother Darrell years ago, they used to make a little family altar thing. You know, they made a little thing where they had a little, little candle holder and a little Bible holder, and they would just, you know, have that as an emphasis in the church. You need to have a, an altar time with God every single day of your life. And don't come in bondage because I didn't read 15 chapters, I'm going to hell, No. If, you, if you're not doing anything right now, 15 chapters is not going to happen. But a half a chapter, a paragraph, yeah. If you're not praying at all right now, you're not going to pray five hours tomorrow. You get a revelation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray all day tomorrow. No, you're going to pray probably five minutes and then not have anything else to say. But it will grow and develop. Now, 
this hits a nerve because you and I know that all of us should be further down the road than we are. Watch this. How many are interested in, in being closer to him than you've ever been before? Well, this person said this, and this person did that, and my spouse this, or my kids this, or the dogs that. The first thing you're going to have to do is get rid of the excuses for where you are. You're where you are because you're comfortable where you are. Now watch this. When you really start pressing in again, you're going to have a consciousness. Say this with me, consciousness. You're going to have the consciousness at that moment that what you're doing is very, very good for your soul, for your spiritual life, that God is very good, that it's life-giving. You're going to have the consciousness that you could be further down the road than you are. And you've got a choice at that moment in time. Walk around in condemnation and slip back into complacency or just press on and say, Father, just repent of that and I'm going to go on with you. I'm going to discover things that, that are long gone or lost, or I'm going to see those restored, or I'm going to develop things that I haven't even walked in yet. Look at some, I say, consciousness. That's one of the tools the devil uses to push people right back out of his presence. No, uh, you're not a, a perfect specimen. You're a work in, in process. Say, I am progressing. I haven't arrived yet. But when you do press in, you're going to have this consciousness of, why wasn't I doing this before? Why wasn't I going down this path? How did I get off of that intimate relationship with God and into living life just like everybody else in this world? And I happen to be a Christian, spirit-filled, happen to go to church and all that. But I'm not living all that much different from people day to day. That's okay. Now watch this. That consciousness means the Holy Ghost is speaking to you at that moment. Showing you what life can be if you'll walk this out. Come on, say it. We're more than conquerors. Remember Luke chapter 10? I ought to be able to just say Luke 10 and the whole church says, praise God. Because everybody in the building knows what that is. Let's practice. Luke 10. What does it mean? It means the one thing. It means that you and I are to learn to be like Mary and not just Martha. Working ourselves up into a frenzy. Amen. Getting uptight, getting anxious, judgmental, getting pushy and bossy. You know when you start telling the Lord what to do, that's a good indicator you've not been spending time with him. Tell her to help me. No, that's not what you're there. You're not there to give God directions. But when you get into the habit of pushing people around and controlling people, why not try to control God as well? Here's a tip. It's never going to work. God's never going to let you control him. Amen? So let's try it one more time. Luke 10. That was pretty weak. Amen? I mean, I did like 15, 20 messages on this. There should be more than that. Let's try it one more time. Luke 10. I got it. Hallelujah. Are you a Martha, religious, or are you a Mary? Hmm? Your personal relationship with the Lord evidenced by quality and personal quiet time with him is the greatest predictor of your success in life as a Christian. Let me say it again. Your personal relationship with the Lord evidenced by the quality of your personal quiet time with him is the greatest predictor of your success in life, which means 
your supernatural increase is tied to the quality of your relationship. If you're not seeking him, you're going to have to find a way in the natural to do things because it's not going to happen the way he wants it to happen in your life. You'll do it his way, you'll see that it will be more like a sweatless anointing. You know, you and I have uh, access to anointings that help us not just in spiritual things, but even in natural things. Aren't you glad there's an anointing to live? Yes, watch this. It's in that personal relationship, that's where he adds a super to your natural. That's where the anointings are entrusted to you. That's where they come up on you. And you go through months of not seeking him, and then you wonder why you don't have that supernatural power in your life. It's because you're not doing what you need to do to tap into it. The means of grace are free, but you have to submit yourself to them. Amen. Anybody here could use more anointing, more power in their life. Well, I'll just serve more. No, that's not going to do it. That's great, but that's not going to do it. It's in his presence those anointings will fall on you and fall fresh on you. Say it with me. That's where he adds the super to my natural. Now, walking with God, just write these things down, and you study these at home. And if you've not been seeking him, just repent. Look at somebody and say, just repent. We won't put you on Facebook and tell everybody what you've not been doing. Have like a special wall on Facebook for carnal Christians. Here's all the religious people over here. No, not interested in that. Walking with God in living contact. First of all, you do this by, you know, abiding and you abide by honoring the name of Jesus. Honor that name. Lift that name up. Don't be afraid to praise his name. Don't be afraid to say his name. Don't be afraid to pray in his name. In the Old Testament, a place for his name was a place for his presence. It's very important that you continue to honor that name. That's why the Bible tells us not to take the name of the Lord in what? In vain, because it's a much bigger deal than just what they call him. It's about who he is. It's about his place. It's about his divinity. It's about the fact that he is, in fact, God. Number two, abide by listening to the Holy Spirit. You do this in fellowshipping with him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. Listen to this. But you've received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you all things. And what he teaches is true. It's not a lie. So continue in what he has taught you and continue to live in Christ. He's a teacher. You know, the Holy Spirit knows how to fix a marriage. Holy Spirit knows how to fix a, tar a tire. Holy Spirit knows how to take care of that problem in your house. Natural, spiritual, supernatural, everything in between. He knows everything. He is God. But, you know, if we don't listen to him, then how are we supposed to figure anything out? Amen. If you're going to ask God for wisdom, make sure you're listening to the answer. Hallelujah. Number three, abide by being a witness for Jesus. If you're in relationship with him and in vital union, you're going to care that other people know him too. You're going to reach out. You're going to tell people what God has done for you. Raise your hand if God has done some good things for you. 
Has he been good to you? Yes. You abide by honoring his name. You abide by listening to the Holy Spirit. You abide by bearing witness for him and uh, not choking when the time comes to say the right thing. Somebody says something really off the wall spiritually and you're right there, that's your moment to lift his name up. Somebody's compromising the word, you lift his name up. Somebody's saying the name of the Lord in vain, you say something about it. One of our members years ago was in a, a psychology class at Murray State, and this professor was famous for his profanity. And I mean, it wasn't just, uh, you know, the, the mild stuff. It was the, the grossest stuff in the world, he would say. And it was belligerent, it was, it was anti-Christ, it was taking the name of the Lord in vain. And, you know, I guess he did this and nobody ever said anything. But all of a sudden, Jesus kind of stood up and said, you know, Dr. So-and-so, I won't tell you what his name is. I think he's retired now anyway. But uh, he said, yes, what can I do for you? He goes, when you say these things about my God and you use those kinds of words in his class, it's offensive to me and it detracts from the learning environment. And you know what he said? I know what you're thinking. He just really lit into her with a whole bunch of... No, he said, you know what? No one's ever brought that to my attention. I apologize. The last thing I want to do is detract from the learning in the, in the classroom. He just been so used to doing that and nobody ever said anything. Well, I couldn't do that. I'd be afraid. No, if you live in his presence and then that moment comes where somebody is defiling the name of the God you serve, you'll speak up. Come on, shout it out. I'll speak up. Hallelujah. Number four, abide by walking uprightly with God. Walking uprightly. How I many you know there's right and there's wrong? Righteous people live right. Righteous people talk right. Righteous people live a different way than those that don't know him. Walk before God in purity. Walk before God in integrity. Number five, abide by staying in the word. You've never heard that before? Scripture says, if you abide in me, John 15, and my word abides in you, you will ask what you will, and what? And it shall be done. Isn't that a good promise? If you what? If you abide in him and his word abides in you. Now remember from Sunday, how do I know if the word's abiding in me? Because it's talking to you. If you're a Christian and you can do something that's across the line morally and the word's not talking to you, it's because you are not abiding in the word. If you hear something that is completely unscriptural, and you hear a lot of this, um, particularly if uh, you hang around religious people, you're going you're to find that they will blame God for everything and give him credit for nothing. God's not your problem. Amen. I have been in every kind of environment, and some of these, these religious teachings are so ingrained that across the Christian spectrum, people tend to believe them. God will not put on more than you can bear. That's not what the Word says. And so you walk around thinking that God is somehow the problem. The truth of the matter is that God is not the one kicking you around. The devil is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You say, well, everybody knows that. You'd be amazed the power of a revelation sown in due season when somebody is confused like that. I've seen it change people's lives, not because you're judging them. It's just the word is coming up out of you because you're abiding in the word. What does that mean? It means if you don't, according to John 15, you'll wither, you'll shrivel, shrivel, you'll lose your energy, your focus, your power. You begin to cut yourself off 
And how fast does it take for you to lose that, that life, that energy, that vigor? Not very long. And what does the scripture say? What does God do with those, with those twin, uh, twigs and the limbs that are cut off? You gather them up and you have a hot dog roast. <laughs> Your job is to stay connected. So whatever is in him is flowing in you and it's producing life and victory and peace. So look at somebody and say, read the word. Study the word. Meditate the word. Speak the word. Do the word. Say it again. Say, do the word. Speak the word. Meditate the word. Read the word. Abide in the word. Now, you would think as much as this church has been taught about staying in the word, that everybody would be staying in the word. But not everybody is staying in the word. Amen. Last the night, abide by staying, not just visiting occasionally, but staying in God's presence. Stay there, live there, abide there. He who dwells in the shelter and the secret place of the Most High shall what? Shall remain or abide, live or dwell. Those promises in Psalm 91 are not for those that visit or pass through, but they're abiding there in his presence. Psalm 22.3, thou art holy, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Say he inhabits my praise. Have you had that experience where you've just been praising God just profusely and all of a sudden his presence will move in in a tangible way? That can happen every day of your life. That should happen every day of your life. Jude 20 tells us to pray in the Holy Ghost. Beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Praying what? In the Holy Ghost. You believe it will build you up in your most holy faith? Yes, but the key is you have to actually do it. Here's another nice religious saying. You know, uh, all things work together for good. The religious translation of that is, uh, God is the one that instigated the wreck, but he's going to make it all good. No, what the scripture means is as you pray in the Holy Ghost, Romans 8, the Spirit of God will bend that thing to good no matter what has happened. God's not the author of your devastation. God is not the author of your hurt and your pain. There ought to be more amens in this word, church, than that. Let me say it again. God is not the author of your trouble. He's not the author of your pain. He's the author of your solution. He's the author of your victory. But I tell you, if back of your mind you still think that God is the one behind everything, it's going to be hard for you to have faith for your deliverance and victory. I'm going to trust the God that set me up. Hello? We don't even think that way naturally, but somehow we think that way about him. He has done nothing to you but good. He will never do anything to you but good. But you live in a fallen world. Amen. And have you noticed, you don't live in a bubble. And people do go through things. In this world, Jesus said, you will what? You will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So God's not stirring up a mess in your life and then saying, well, I'll turn that all to good. No, he'll take the mess that is there. And watch this. Yeah, the devil creates messes, but you know who the biggest mess creator is in your life? You. It's Pam. Pam is the source of all of our trouble. Yes, that's... No. 
I mean, you're. But we automatically go to God. God allowed this and God did this and God wouldn't do this. And we look in the mirror and you and I, if we're honest, have created most of the messes that we've had to live through. And then we sit back and go, God's not doing anything. No, what you need to realize is if you'll get into his presence, his nature will become revelation to you. He's not evil. He's good. He's not against you. He's for you. He's your biggest cheerleader. He's got big plans for you. Amen. But if you stay out of his presence, you're not going to know his nature. You're going to be bound to everything you hear, all the popular psychology and all the theology that's out there. You're going to live by fortune cookie. You know, I've known Christians that have more confidence in the fortune cookie than in God. Did you see my fortune today? Did you see my fortune today? They could just open up the word of God to like Psalm 103 and said, he forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Did you see my scripture today? Did you see my word today? And they do this with fortune cookies. They do this. Some people do this with horoscopes. People do this, you know, even with some dreams and some visions. But at your disposal, every single day is a book filled with good news. You're not suffering the consequences of sin because you have been redeemed. It's been paid for. You are set now and for all eternity. So when you open it up, those are promises. They're yes and they're amen. Crack open a fortune cookie, you know, over there, you know, wherever. And it says, you know, you shall, you know, you shall have money coming your way. And we go, oh, look at that. Isn't that wonderful? Money is coming my way. The Bible's been saying that for thousands of years. I open it up and I say, hey, give it, it shall be given you. And you go, oh, I don't know about that giving stuff. But you get all excited about a little fortune and a fortune cookie says, that hey, money's coming your way. And then there's the proverbial, did you know if you see a red cardinal cross your path, that means that money's coming to you. One day there are five or six of them across my path. I got excited briefly. I like cardinals. This is a Bush Stadium. That's where I saw them. <laughs> Look, a whole bunch of them, there's a whole flock of cards. Oh, money's coming. Praise the Lord. God's going to finally do something. Like Get all excited about natural signs and indicators when the word of God already promises you that your God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Get excited about the one that you spent time in his word and his presence to understand his nature. And he is for you, not against you. And if God is for you, who could be against you? You don't need a horoscope, a horror scope. You don't need a fortune cookie. You don't need a sign in nature. I have a friend from my high school, and that's frequently what they'll point to. And they'll say, oh, you know, there was a feather across my path, or there was... Sunshine on my shoulder. They went to the theological school of John Denver. Everything's going to be wonderful today. Did you see that cloud formation? That cloud formation is a sign from God, and there sits the Word of God. Huh? Yeah. In the day we're living right now, during this election cycle, 
99% of the chatter that I've heard has to do with dreams and visions. I very rarely see somebody pick that book up and tell, what does this mean in light of the Word of God? It's a dangerous way to live. You can spiritualize it a little bit more than a fortune cookie, but at the end of the day, you don't want to divorce yourself from God's presence and His Word. That's the foundation for your increase. Come on, say it. I don't need a flock of cardinals. I don't need a fortune cookie. I don't need a horoscope. I've got the Word of God. The Word made more certain. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow or toil to it. But you have to have the foundation. You're not talking to him. You're not in his word. You're not developing a relationship, going around quoting Proverbs 10, 22. That's not going to do you a lot of good. The word has to be in the heart as well as out of your mouth. But boy, get somebody who's walking with God. Say, I'm walking with God. I'm abiding with God. You take a Christian who's walking with God in his presence, in his word, their mind's being renewed, they're lifting him up, they're living for him first, they're growing, and now all of a sudden you begin to put that, that person in a position where they confess the word of God and they sow their seed and they tie their tie and they praise their God and they expect that they're going to have spiritual, physical, and material redemption in their lives. Things are going to break out in their lives. Good things. Come on, say, good things are happening to me. Come on, shout out, good things are coming to me. I put God first. If you had not been putting God first, then repent and change. You're not disqualified. I'm too far gone. No, you're not. You're here. I haven't driven you off yet. You're still here. Still focused. Ears are still open. Amen. As long as you're in earshot of the revelation of the word of God, there's hope for you. Come on, folks, somebody say there's hope for you. There is hope for you. I want you to understand that we don't preach easy believism here. We do not preach an abundance of prosperity separate from the walk with God. That's not what we teach. If your walk with God is not right, you're not going to have a foundation for supernatural increase. But all oh, if your walk with God is correct. I can give you example after example after example of people that walk with God. And they, you can't make them lose because they're going to win. They're going to come up to the top every single time. Amen. Can you receive that tonight? Can you receive it by faith? Amen. Come on, give me a hand clap and let's thank him for it. Glory to God.